Welcome to our True Crime, True Family podcast. Quarantine equals no life, so we've decided to start a true crime podcast. I'm Emily, and along with my mom, Kate, and our cousin Paige, we will be discussing popular true crime documentaries and cases. Due to sensitive subject material and explicit language, viewer discretion is advised. This is episode one of True Crime, True Family. Shout out to our moms and my husband, because they are probably the only people that will ever listen to this. <laughs> I'm Kate, and along with my daughter Emily and our cousin Paige, we will be discussing true crime cases and documentaries. The first case we're going to uh, discuss is the Fry Festival debacle. We watched both the Netflix Fry documentary and Hulu's Fry Fraud. Kate will walk us through the basic overview of the case, and Emily and I will jump in and interject our thoughts and opinions as we go. So I do remember reading about this, like, before it went, like, into a nightmare. Like, I remember when they posted that commercial or whatever on Instagram, and it was all those models. And I think I only remember it because Daniel really likes pigs, and there were, like, pigs in the thing. Like, the, they showed the swimming with pigs. Um, but I remember, I thought it was going to be, like a good festival and then I also remembered when like it turned out to be such a nightmare Um, so both of the documentaries um the Netflix fire documentary and Hulu's fire fraud followed kind of the idea and putting together of the fire festival um which was promoted as three days of music in paradise with luxurious accommodations like they were selling like villas and these luxury tents and like I think they even said there was like a yacht that was going to be like anchored offshore and they were going to get like a cruise ship like it had all these crazy packages Mm -hmm. um and they said they had booked all these different acts like I mean a lot of them I had never heard of but I'm sure they're you know, like famous, but like the, I think the biggest one I'd heard of was like Migos and Blink 182. But, um, so I watched the Netflix one first. So my notes were more detailed, like to the Netflix one, where then I went back when I watched the Hulu one and I kind of just, you know, made additions. So basically, mine follows mostly the Netflix. Um, And so for the Netflix one, they opened up with their, like, footage from the promo commercial they shot um, in the Bahamas. Um, And it had all these supermodels like Bella Hadid and um, Haley Baldwin and, um, like, Emily Ratajkowski. And, I mean, there was a bunch of, of... models that were there you know posting he had them posting pictures while they were there um promoting fire festival um and they said that they had bought like the whole commercial it was like they bought an island that was once owned by Pablo Escobar and they you know had like set up this you know infrastructure to have this music festival but like none of it like they didn't really buy anything because they what they were talking about was Norman's key and they show Billy saying that he had um 
that he had purchased the island for like 10 million and it was like a freehold lease which means they own the land forever but the person that owned the land didn't want them to say it was Pablo Escobar's island so as soon as he started promoting that they wouldn't let him do it there and then he ended up doing it on Great Exuma um but at at the beginning of the Netflix one um you know, Billy is talking about that they had just purchased this property on Fire Key and they were getting ready for the Fire Festival. Fire Key was actually called Norman's Key or is called Norman's Key. So I don't know. I guess he thought they could just like pretend that he owned it. I don't I don't understand how that worked. But um then they show like a like journalists saying that um, her name was Gabrielle Bluestone. She said she saw people posting the promo video. Um, the promo video said it was an immersive music festival on Pablo Escobar's private island. Thousands of people were being flown in on private jets. They showed gorgeous models like frolicking in the water, playing with pigs. They promoted acts like Major Laser, Disclosure, Tyga, um, and then you kind of like it kind of goes to like when they actually had the festival and people were reporting on like what a nightmare it was. Um, like one reporter said, it's an island getaway turned disaster. And um, then someone says that Billy McFarlane, the event's co founder, is facing up to 20 years in prison. Um, and then they show footage of Billy walking around New York City and um, you know, just getting questions about being sued and he's not really answering. So then for the Netflix, it goes, um, it says five months earlier. And so I guess five months before that, Billy and Ja Rule were at Web Summit, which I didn't know what that is, but it's an annual um, technology like conference. Like, I guess I imagine it's like Comic-Con, but for like, tech um one of the project designers says she remembered it was a big deal that billy and Ja were there to talk about fire um which was an app that they were promoting that was going to like help their like booking talent for you know events or festivals or you know even private parties like i don't know if you've heard of cameo but it sounds like like a professional version of Cameo or like a bigger deal version of Cameo. Like Cameo, you can like send a celebrity money and they'll record a video and like send it to you, like personalize, say happy birthday or whatever. Um, and um, so Billy and Ja Rule had, had met through Magnesis, which was a company that Billy owned. It sounded really weird like it was like you paid to have this card it was like a a credit card a credit and then, card yeah I didn't really understand like was it like like who well I guess I don't understand enough about how credit cards work like how do you just be like okay well I'm just gonna have a credit card like I know they took like the strip and they would just put it on this magnesis card that they made out of like stainless steel. So I don't know what is what is like if you had like a Bank of America credit card. Yeah. But then like, like you me, just 
Well, like to me, it just sounded like they were just trying to make something that looked cool to appeal to the millennials. Right. Like it was like the millennial version of like the black card. And like, right. I used to work for um, this guy that he did actually have a black card and that thing was like eight pounds and like made noise when you like put it down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But like, what are you laughing at? Nothing. (laughs) But so I guess the whole magnesis thing, they said it was basically like you paid to have like access to different stuff like they said they would have like you know concert tickets or like Broadway tickets and they had some like townhouse or brownstone in the West Village um, that they um, you know would hang out they would have like functions like you know wine tasting and parties and it was like I like a social club aspect to it I don't know it seemed kind of weird like I can't understand why anyone would really want to pay to be a part of that but I mean yeah I'm I'm looking it up and it's basically it says it's a card-based membership club and that's what it is yeah I mean I guess the part of it that I get stuck on is like what the hell does your credit card have anything to do with it like is it just your credit card that they just put your strip on a card like that you already have? I don't know, which I guess it doesn't even matter. I don't think anybody ever does like even uses it anymore, but it, it uh, apparently promised exclusive perks to members. Yeah. Yeah. And I get like, that was the main thing was like the whole, like, Oh, you can get concert tickets or like reservations at fancy restaurants, stuff like that. Yeah. But apparently um, it wasn't, it wasn't like a real credit card. No. And it did, they didn't even have the access to anything that they claimed they had. Um, like people said, like a lot of times you'd go and they wouldn't have your reservation. And like, really the only thing that was always a constant was like, he had gotten some like property in New York. That was like an apartment or a townhouse or whatever that people would go hang out at. And that was like mm-hmm. the biggest thing um but at the the web summit thing um they were talking about fire was you know the booking app and billy says he was trying to book jaw rule for a party through magnesis and he said he reached out to this guy named reggie muscles who said that for 500 bucks he would get him jaw rule so billy paid reggie muscles 500 um and the next day Reggie brought in a guy named Gunner and Gunner asked for a thousand dollars. So he paid Gunner the thousand dollars and Gunner called Billy a week later and said, Ja Rule hates your offer. And um, then Ja Rule says like the purpose of fire is to um, tackle the nasty business of booking. So the idea was you go to a website, you scroll through the various types of talent to see who you want to hire you know, if someone wanted to hire Ja Rule for a birthday party, they could book him through the app directly. So it would, like, he would see it. He would know what you were offering. He could accept or decline. Um, and um, so 
they said that M. David Lowe, which that was very weird. Like his name is literally like M and then lowercase D-A-V-I-D. I was like, what name is that? But M. David Lowe oversaw the product, ran the design development of the app, and um, along with Ja Rule and Billy, like the three of them were kind of the head of FIRE. So Ja Rule was the entertainment industry connection, and, you know, Billy had what he called um, connections through VC funding so that they could have, like, investors to kind of back their projects. Um, they show Samuel Cross. So he worked for Fire Media, and, like, he said that idea, he did think it had, like, the potential to be super successful and make, you know, celebrities more accessible and revolution the way, revolutionize the way the industry worked. Um, and so I guess they all thought that it had the potential to be like super, like billion dollar ideas. Um, and then M. David Lowe made the suggestion to throw a festival for, you know, like the concert for industry professionals to kind of be like, you know, this is going to launch our app. And, um, so Billy hooked onto that idea and it morphed into what Fire Festival became. Um, so next they bring in Andy King, who was an event producer. He said that Billy had called him and said he bought a private island in the Bahamas and that he was going to host a music festival there. Said it was Pablo Escobar's island and, you know, it was going to be fantastic. So... Then they they show um, Ja Rule and Billy in the Bahamas. And Billy's saying a year before, he and Ja Rule were flying over the Exumas and they saw an unmanned runway. So they tried dialing in and no one responded. So they just landed their plane there. He said it was called Norman's Key. And the idea was that they would have celebrities there. And, um, you know, for the festival, it would be on this Norman's Key. They were going to rebrand it Fire Key. Um, they would have the celebrities there. They would do buried treasure, treasure hunts. Like one of the things he suggested was like win a piece of land on the island. And Ja Rule says it was the magic bird concept. And he said that's, you know, something him and Billy coined. Um, and it was supposed to, you know, be regard like reference the impact that magic johnson and larry bird had on the nba he said it changed the way people saw and thought about basketball so Ja wanted him and billy to be the magic bird and change the way people looked at a young tech entrepreneur and a hip-hop mogul coming together and creating something incredible um like i just thought like Ja rule has always seemed kind of like a joke to me anyway but like after this like especially so like he like this seemed like such a weird like it is a very good idea but they went about it so like like they failed every point they had like they could have had to be really successful um but you know then they start talking about like people described billy as nerdy very smart charismatic trustworthy a visionary um like in the other in the hulu documentary they talk about how like billy always had these big ideas for like 
innovative ideas. Um, he talked about when he was in second grade, he liked this girl. And when she was sitting next to him, her crayon broke. And so he told her for a dollar, he would fix her crayon. And then he said that he just started charging kids money to fix their crayons. Like he would kind of do those kind of things. Like he just seems very like smarmy though. Like it always seems like it's like kind of a good idea, but like somehow there's like something not right about it. Kind of like that whole magnesis card where it's like, what, like how do you have a credit card? Uh, I mean, I still don't understand all of that, but. Well, what I thought was um, bullshit was that he said he broke into those those locked typewriters that had the screens on them. Yes. And he, like, yeah. put it out there that, you know, like, anybody needs a crayon fix, come to me. Mm-hmm. I thought that was such fucking bullshit. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I really, I thought that was a complete lie. Because did he say that on the Hulu one? Yeah, yeah he, he did, did say that on the Hulu one and like yeah. yeah like that's the other thing none of his stuff is like was that really even like did that happen can anybody else verify that they had their crown fixed by Billy McFarlane because it does seem like one of those things like it's like ridiculous enough that if a little kid thought of it it's like oh wow he's a genius but like it doesn't seem like he tells the truth about anything so well and then his mom was on there saying how like he was like the smartest little boy ever and he was scuba diving at like what 10 or something by himself and it's like like I don't know I've never been scuba diving can 10 year olds like do that I guess not I don't know I mean even if they could like I don't like who even knows if she like he he's a liar maybe he got it from her like she probably just tells like it's like people that like remember their kids entire childhoods wrong and they're like oh my child slept at six months old and was potty trained by nine months and it's Mm -hmm. like okay but she was still three and having accidents yeah but I I really in that Hulu one I really believed nothing that came out of his mouth and he just seemed like such he seemed very defeated in that in that documentary like I noticed like and maybe this is just weird to notice it but like his t-shirt was like wrinkled and like the blazer like I felt like it didn't even like fit right like maybe it was his dad's and it was too big or something like like did he lose like everything he ever had? And yeah, or did he just stop caring like me in quarantine who wears pajamas like twenty four seven? Yeah, like it, it just seemed like he was and and he has all right, I guess, to feel defeated, but that was to his own credit. He he caught you know, he caused his own situation. So I, I don't know, it just seemed very weird and he seemed very like like just uppity and kind of snooty and thought, you know, thought way more highly of himself than people think of him. Oh, for sure. Like he definitely, like, I think he thinks other people failed him, not he failed to be honest. So the Mm -hmm. things didn't work out. I did notice he, um, his weight fluctuated a lot in the Hulu one. Like, so I'm sure that's like, 
depending on what part of that was, it's like maybe it was after he got his sentence, but before he got remanded to jail, like he probably was just sitting in the house, like depressed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I don't, like, I know, like, they got sued by a bunch of different people. Like, I know in the Netflix one, it said at the end, like, one of the attendees won a $5 million like fraud suit against him but obviously they have not collected a dollar and I know people were talking about class action suits um but I mean yeah he just seems very like he he seems like it's just like a scammer like like there's always going to be the next scam like it's like he's never just going to be a legitimate person It'll never stop. Like he learns. Yeah. It'll just be a different, you know, a different way of like tricking people into giving him their money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess he was trying to say that the festival was, you know, they were going to throw it on to draw attention to this fire app, which they wanted to market as the Uber of booking talent. Which Um, if, if that kind of, if it all would have gone as planned, that app could have been a huge success, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. I would think 100 because then you also give people that aren't as big that may not have as many bookers or like, you know, maybe they're not as widely known. Like, you still have the access. You can put your, like, you can apply to have your, you know, bio put up there and then maybe if like somebody in your hometown wants you to do something Mm -hmm. like local charity or even if it's just like a rich person that wants to have you sing at their kids sweet 16 or whatever like I could see that being very popular I mean it kind of is you know like a similar to that cameo that they have um which is a huge thing yeah and I'm sure people do well on that because you know, like it, like it takes nothing for the talent or the celebrities to like, they, if they don't want to do it, then they just don't accept it. And, you know, it's like, you're getting a couple hundred dollars sometimes to just say like, happy birthday, like a 15 second thing. Yeah. Like that, that's a no brainer. Um, and so, I mean, it looked like they put so much into filming that one commercial and then just everything else was just like a clusterfuck like that that commercial did look like i i do remember when it came out i thought it was like legitimate i was like oh wow i bet that would be fun you know but then like when you heard about what actually happened i was like wow that seems insane like that like they did nothing none of it was ended up being anything true about like from the um from that commercial like they weren't in the same island they weren't um like I don't even think those models even went to the festival like it wasn't like they were supposed to appear and they didn't like did and I don't know that any well I guess they did say that that one Samuel guy who booked all the talent, he said he canceled them before they came out there because when they saw what a shit show it was when people got there but um, I do remember when it all went down, reading articles about 
the models and if they should be held liable for promoting this. And I do think that that fire festival or like that whole debacle is why like now they have to put like hashtag ad on their Instagram if they post anything or like hashtag sponsor like they have to make it known they're not just saying that's something they would do like I'm getting paid to say this mm-hmm. which I don't like I mean I don't know I just assume anybody posting anything like that is getting paid anyway like I don't I don't feel like there's like people aren't just gonna be like okay hey like check this out like you know, if they're not getting money from like a coupon code that they're giving out or, you know, they're not being paid to say it. I don't like, I just generally don't think that people do things for free. Um, but so, I mean, they brought all those models out. Um, and like then in the Netflix one, you see Grant Margolin he was a fire marketing director. He seemed very annoying. Like, I guess they said that there were like two shoots kind of going on. Like they were filming the commercial, but then there was another set of cameras that were just filming everything. And like, kind of like a behind the scenes, like, I don't know if they thought they would do like some like, like making of, or like, it was almost it reminded me of like what it must be like to film like real housewives like they just filmed everything to see what they could splice together later but like you see him sitting there talking to billy and billy like is saying something he's like no 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 look at me make it conversational and then like so he turns he looks at him, he's like no 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 do this it's like oh my god like just say it why does it matter and um i mean they said he was really neurotic and you know, just from the beginning, nothing was organized the way that it should have been. Um, I did laugh, like, when they showed that guy, Keith, that was the pilot, and he's, like, standing there, he's, like, I learned to fly using Microsoft Flight Simulator. It's, like, oh, that seems safe. Like, Oh, yeah, and didn't he, did like, you... he put them in, like, zero gravity or something at one yeah. point? Yeah. Like, that's not where I'd like my life. Like, I don't want to put my life in his hands because he off of a flight simulator uh no and like you saw like like they showed like a few clips where like they're all like stuck to the ceiling of this one that's like my biggest nightmare like I don't know like I first of all I don't know that I would even trust being on like a private small plane anyway like I feel like that would make me nervous and like I, I don't know. Like, then you hear, like, oh, I learned from Microsoft Flight Simulator. Like, I'd be like, oh, so I'm dying. Like, like I hope I said goodbye to my family before I came on this trip. And... What I thought was funny was Ja Rule. Like, okay, Ja Rule was, like, good for, like, a minute. He had a few hits, and that's it. But he he acted... Like, he was Jay-Z or some shit. Oh, he's such a loser. And, like, do you, like, do you At remember when he, he had called that himself beef? a hip-hop mogul? Oh, yeah. He's I, not. I remember that. You're a mogul of what? Like, your mom's collection of your hits? Like, no. He, like, he, I can't even, like, I think of 
didn't he have like a song with Ashanti and then like two songs with J Lo? I think it was like two with two with Ashanti and one with J Lo, and that's pretty much the only thing I can think of for him. Well, the only thing I actually think of like that isn't music related, which I think of more when I hear Ja Rule's name, it's his beef with Fifty Cent, and. Like, you just know 50 Cent was, like, sitting home. Because 50 Cent is petty. Like, he will just go on Instagram and call people out just because it's Tuesday. And, like, you know he was sitting there, like, thank you, Jesus, for making this man look stupid. And now I get to make fun of him. Like, I remember there's a song. I can't remember the name of the song. But there, a song on his first album where like he's calling out Ja Rule by his his like real name like he's like this is Jeffrey Atkins and so like I don't know Ja Rule always seemed like somebody that was pretending to be a rapper that wasn't actually a rapper and he looks like a turtle (laughs) (laughs) like well he does like you're right like, I don't know. Like, I, I never would listen to a Jaw Rule song and be like, oh, yeah, he is hardcore. Like, he is gangsta. Like, there's no way. No way in hell would I ever say that. And, like, I do remember seeing, like, one of um, Dave Chappelle's stand-ups. And he was talking about, like, on 9-11. He was like, I remember the camera cutting, like, the reporter being like, oh, we have Ja Rule on the phone. And, like, he's like, who wants to talk to Ja Rule at a time like this? And so, like, he just always has seemed like such a joke to me. Like, because he doesn't seem like he's, like, really, like, I don't know. He just doesn't seem like he probably lived that hard of a life. Maybe he did. I don't really know anything about him. But, like, I would imagine it's, like, you know, like, you grew up in a suburb and you were, like, the hardest, you know, kid on your cul-de-sac, like, I don't, he just doesn't seem like very big deal to me at all. And like, I know who Ja Rule is because I am almost 40 years old. Like, I am pretty sure Emily would have had no idea who Ja Rule was. Like, did you even know Ja Rule? No. Emily, she's like, this is all I'm contributing to this. (laughs) I I don't know what to say. Whatever I'm gonna say is gonna like sound stupid, and I'm gonna have to like be quiet. It's gonna be like ashamed. Ashamed. And she's like, I'm just here for the intro and the outro, okay? <laughs> That's all I got for you guys. <laughs> oh god! And then did you hear his stupid toast? Like, and he tried to like cue it up, like it was so dramatic when he's like, "Here's to living like movie stars." <laughs> Partying like rock stars and, and fucking, fucking like, like porn, porn stars. stars. Like, okay. Like, no one's fucking you, John. I Rule. think I'm he sorry. literally gave that same toast at least twice because there were two different shots of him giving that toast. And I think they, that was just like their thing. Like, they always had that plan. No, I am sure that he gave that toast every single time he had a drink. And they were just like, we can only show oh this my one. God, wait. <laughs> I think that toast is in a TikTok what? song. I, I swear, I think that's in a TikTok song. About that toast? 
Yeah, it is. Well, I yeah, mean, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah, people made fun of it because he seems so ridiculous. Oh like, it's not even that, <laughs> yeah. like, impressive. Like, it's like, oh, did it really take you a lot to come up with that? Like, I mean. I bet it did take them hours, though. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, they just look stupid. Like, they showed them like Ja Rule and Billy like wanting to they're like we're gonna jump in the water and then the models are gonna get in the water and he's like we're gonna jump in then the models will jump in and it'll be the money shot and like the girls were kind of like yeah no I don't really want to do that and you know I mean basically it was just a weekend of them partying with models and them trying to call it like professional yeah and And they had to pay them so yeah those girls never ever would have hung out with them had they not been paid Uh, no and they probably did not talk to them once after they left that island no and i know like they kept saying like that whole weekend like oh just post these like candid pictures and then just hashtag fire festival like before they came out and said what it was like to try to get the buzz or whatever um i mean and did you see when they did that like mannequin challenge or whatever like you all just look like idiots like you're not famous the girls are famous and i mean they, they did get a lot of press out of it but like it was more because there was like a group of 10 models there at one time it had nothing to do with Ja Rule or Billy McFarlane no and yeah and yeah like here's where Ja Rule is very annoying too so like they're talking about um in the Daily Mail like had put up an article that said something like one of the models hashtagged fire festival and some another model replied to her post saying like that's lit and jaw rules like see i knew that's what was gonna happen i knew it would do that like oh did it was it like a big like brain trust that needed to figure out that if two models like something that other people will be like hey what is that like i didn't like that didn't seem revolutionary to me yeah and especially if they're kendall jenner and uh Bella Hadid, who are two of the right. highest paid models on the planet. Yeah. And like Kendall wasn't even there. She just got paid like $250,000 to like put up a, like a picture and a caption. Oh, that's right. She wasn't there, but Bella Hadid well, yeah, but and I'm saying, like, Haley, they didn't even, like, Haley Bieber were there. Yeah. And, um, so I guess like after they kind of did that fire festival jump off thing, they had hired fuck Jerry to be like their media people, like to control their social media and everything. Fuck Jerry, and, who, by the way, produced the Netflix version, the next, this Netflix documentary. The one that was like more like Billy is a criminal. Yeah. The 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 Netflix one was produced by Fuck Jerry. Yeah. They're like, we need to do this so that we can say, look, we really didn't know. And look, this asshole did. That's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um they said that they came up with this idea to 
post the burnt orange colored tile to social media. Like they had, you know, I guess everyone post it and say, join me fire festival and like the address. Um, and I guess fuck Jerry went to like a bunch of like models and influencers and had them post it. Um, and like they did say that like while they were in the Bahamas shooting that commercial, like they were, they brought production stuff in so that they could edit it and like have it ready to go like still in the Bahamas. Like, so it was kind of real time or whatever. And like they were saying, Emily, is that you? Okay. Well, they said that like the models all posted that and that they had people coming to them, like investors from Coachella being like, can I pull my money out of Coachella and put it into fire? Which I don't know that I believe all of that, but like I'm sure they had interest or whatever. But see, Um, they tried to make it a Coachella because nobody heard about Coachella until a few years ago when models and everybody started going to it. Like, I had never heard of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how long... Like, now it's definitely, like, a huge thing. I I don't remember when I first heard about Coachella. I feel like, like, Coachella has done some really, like, cool stuff. Like, I remember one year they did, like, a hologram of Tupac. And... But it started in 1999. So, oh, it, okay. So I definitely didn't know that it was around that long. I was right. like, maybe 2010, like it was in my head, but no. Okay. So I guess that is very, very. No, wait. Long. It might have started in 1993. Hold on. I'm trying to figure it out. No, I think it was 1999, but I know I didn't hear about it until what, at least two thousand, like 10 years after that, when they did the hologram of, of Tupac. Yeah. That was when it became a thing. It was not a thing until then. Yeah. Because I think that is the one thing I, that was like where I really heard about it too. And I, I mean, I've heard (laughs) of Burning Man before, but I feel like it's like, a like not really Coachella I have a friend that's been to Burning Man and it's more like just like not as mainstream I guess as what Coachella would be but I don't know I don't know that people were like oh let me pull my money out of Coachella because like Fire Festival is brand new you don't know anything about it like you might think it's interesting but like you know you're getting your return on investment at Coachella mm-hmm. and um so they started posting on their like website that they were like selling rustic tents VIP houses yachts with private chefs um you know they said within 48 hours 95 of the tickets were sold and you know like it was a first time festival that had sold out and apparently that's like a huge huge accomplishment Um, and then that guy Keith the pilot who learned to fly using the Microsoft flight simulator he was talking to Ja Rule and Billy about logistics like in the beginning he was 
like giving them like pointing things out to them like he was saying like well you're going to need this many bathrooms and you're going to need this much space and you know that the amount of the tickets they sold was way more than the island would be able to handle and like you know where what were they were going to do about like you know like there's physically impossible to fit that many people on the island let alone having to build some sort of infrastructure that could support them and then you know also from like the waste standpoint like with the trash and like you know them needing to use facilities to go to the bathroom and stuff like he just didn't see how it was going to be possible um and so like his idea was like well maybe you could get a cruise ship that like docks like offshore um that could take a number of people like take it off the island you know so the island wouldn't be so overwhelmed um because he didn't think that a thousand people could fit on the island you know and he was saying well the tricky thing would be you know at the end of the night getting the drunk people off the island back to the cruise like they would have to like bring them back and forth in like a little you know like a little speedboat or something and um you know immediately that guy grant was like oh well we're not doing the cruise ship anymore like everybody's gonna stay on the island and like this guy's looking at him like uh i don't know how you're gonna do that and grant's like oh we're gonna just do tents it's fine it's fine like we're just gonna do tents and so keith was like so i got a tent and my wife and i stayed on the island for one night and he said it was awful he said it wasn't safe it was super loud. There were a ton of mosquitoes. There was no air conditioning. It's like, it was just uncomfortable. Like, it wasn't, you know, like, it was brutal is how he described it. And he just kept, like, bringing it up and, like, saying, like, you guys need to think about this. And you, you know, you guys need to, like, think of a better idea than these tents. And then eventually, you know, Billy told Keith he needed to like step back and that they were going to go in a different direction and you know that they were going to use someone else and thanks for your help you know but they don't want him to continue to be a part of fire festival and it seemed like throughout both documentaries they both kind of are like anybody that kind of pushed back it was like well you know we're problem solvers like we aren't going to be negative. Like anybody that had a concern, it's like, well, you're being negative and we're not, you know, that's not how we're going to, we're not problems focused. We're results focused or, you know, whatever. And um, so, I mean, this is also like, you know, like they, they planned this thing. It was only like five months before that they even had the idea, like most concerts and festivals, you probably would need a minimum of a year to like plan it out and and then they're doing this and like swapping people in and out so you know it's not the same people that started with you and it's all getting very last minute um you know like he was pulling budgets together and approving them like very quickly they were saying like you know billy would like they would something else would come up they would need money for this and billy would be like okay okay and he'd fly back to new york and come back and be like okay i got three million dollars and 
um, you know, Billy had asked his staff to book talent for the festival, even though a lot of these people were like app developers, they weren't like bookers of talent. Like, you know, that was going to be the goal of the fire app, but like, they weren't really in there to know how you went about booking people. They were to like, you know, figure out like, what things do we need? So you can like, like what's going to look better when you click on this app when you or like when you get in the app or whatever um you know and so the kid Samuel was the one tasked like mostly with booking talent he said at the time he was like 22 he had never done anything like that before so he said he had booked major laser and then he booked disclosure blink 182 Ray Shreman Migos Lil Yachty I think Tago was booked. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people, a lot of them. I did not know who they were, though. Um, and, like, you know, so then they start going into more about Billy, and they go back into this, like, Magnesis, which they described as the Millennials version of the Black Card. And this was, like, the part that I know. It's because it's that, like, in the documentary, they said they figured out how to turn normal plastic credit cards into nice looking sleek stainless steel credit cards and it ended up being like a membership card. like I imagine it's like Costco for dipshits like that want to feel important um and they keep showing that guy Andy King and you know he was saying like he's a young kid that figured out how to you know get millennials and lock them into like his ideas and seeing what they could get it out of it. Um, and they show him in an interview on Fox Business. And, you know, he's trying to say that everybody that has a card, they create great networking opportunities or partners with local merchants, fashion stores, restaurants, gyms. They offer deals and discounts. You know, they had a clubhouse. They had events there. You know, this guy, Andy King, says he helped Billy design wine tastings and lecture series. They had all these parties, and then Ja Rule became involved. Um, and so they're talking to that guy, Andy, and he's saying that, you know, they, you know, what they needed to pull off the festival was this huge infrastructure that would have been, like, very difficult and very hard to pull off if you were, like, somewhere like Miami, so being... In this little island in the Bahamas that, you know, is not used to any of this is going to be really hard and nearly impossible. Um, so he said that Billy had asked him to come help him. And, um, you know, so he got on board. Um, I don't, I think he probably worked for Magnesis or something because I don't. I don't remember how he was involved with Billy, but I, I'm just making that guess. Um, and so then they're showing the interviewers asking people if they were aware that Billy said he bought an island. And like everybody in their interview is laughing and saying, yeah, you know. Um, but they didn't like they were like, I don't even think that's true. I don't know what was true. And so then they show him saying like oh yeah we got the island for 10 million it's freehold land no lease we own the land forever and that pablo escobar 
owned the island 25 years prior. So then they cut to this this um, Bahamian um, JR, and he said that Norman's Key was the island that they were first referring to, and that it was rich in history of cocaine drug lords running their drugs through the Bahamas, and that the owner of Norman's Key wanted no wanted a new reputation, and they were not to use the word Pablo Escobar, but of course, like that was Billy's big thing about promoting it was that it was Pablo Escobar's island. And he said that from the very first like tweets and the first commercial. And so when the owner saw the commercial, he kicked them off the, the island and out of the key. Like, so I don't understand how Billy said he owned an island if they got kicked out of it. Um, and this was only like, it was like six to eight weeks before the festival was supposed to, happen and so then they had to find a new island and they ended up finding um they ended up booking great exuma and then they show some of the local um restaurant owners on great exuma saying that the idea that was pitched was it was going to be this festival that was going to be put on every year and it was guaranteed to be put on for five years in a row so if you did a good job the first year obviously you know that would set you up to be able to do it you know for the whole five years and would bring in a ton of jobs for people and you know opportunities um but then you know they're saying that everybody had these questions like it was supposed to be this island this private island had always been you know marketed as that but it wasn't a private island. They had kind of doctored like a picture of like, you know, a drawing of the island and they just didn't show where like the island connected to the rest of the island. They made it look like it was a desert island. Um, it, I mean, and it was basically like a construction site that was, you know, hazardous in a ton of different ways. And I believe and, you know, it was like connected to like Sandals, like it was yes. near a Sandals resort. Yeah, yeah, it was. And well, another thing is like they booked it for the same weekend as the National Regatta, which I had never heard of, but I guess it's a like for Great Exuma, it's the busiest weekend of the year, and the island basically already doubles in population because of that um and all the hotels end up booked months up to a year in advance and like they were sitting there selling these villa packages and so what he was having his people do was like it was basically like an airbnb type thing like he was having people scour the island for these houses that they could call villas for that they had already sold and um you know and they needed it for 500 people um and then they also had these lodge packages which were supposed to be tents that were going to be set up on the main site in front of like you know the stages and everything and then like they said after that billy announced that all influencers that were coming were going to be getting their housing for free so there were like 250 influencers who they promised a three 
person one bedroom villa on the beach and it was gonna end up being like like I for free for 250 of these people and none of those villas existed so it was like okay well you told these people that like what are we supposed to do and do we know how many like how many packages or tickets were sold to this like how many people were expected and came to the island I think it was a thousand people I think is like the number they frequently reference so it would have been a festival with only a thousand people they claimed that forty thousand had been sold but when people first started arriving it was only eight thousand oh yeah he probably did lie about how many people were going but like it says that like it was five thousand tickets were sold and nobody got their money back And they were paying, like, it was, like, 3500 for the tickets. Yeah, but then they were also selling packages up to, I think there was a $250,000 package that somebody could buy that they yeah. had no housing for, no nothing. They were just, like, offering these packages that weren't even available. Okay, well, didn't he say something like, throw up there, like like a hundred thousand dollar cabana and you know we'll see if anyone buys it it's like okay but you don't have the cabana and like pretty much anytime you said anything to him he would be like we are a problem we're not a problems oriented group we are a solutions focused group and so we need positive attitudes and like people said he was just like entirely delusional like he just wouldn't even acknowledge what else was going on well and I think that that in the end was his problem like he I don't know if he just like convinced himself that all of this would work out and that's what he thought I I don't understand like his thinking of it but also I'm not a con artist so I don't think of it I don't think of things like that but like I think that was his thing like throw up and and I think it was well, let's sell a $250,000 package and see if it sells. Well, then we have another $250,000 to spend. Exactly. Like, it was never, like... It, the whole thing just it, snowballed. And I think it's probably with that Magnesis card, if he's selling these stupid memberships and, like, people are paying it and, like, part of the perk is supposed to be able to, like, get concert tickets or get, like, you know, reservations... And in New York, when there's however many people that bought his card and like once or twice, it doesn't, you know, like if it's not working out, it's not as obvious as if it's, you know, like an island where all these people show up and it's nothing like, Mm -hmm. because they show this guy named Calvin who was, um, Calvin Wells. He was, he lives in New York. Um, he worked you know, in some financial industry. And he said that he had friends that gotten the Magnesis card and, you know, like the promotion was like, we have elite access to like tickets and cost well below the market rate. And, um, you know, and they start showing the, the 
different like news articles where it's like people want their money back from this. Um, people say they had friends that had the card and that their reservations would be canceled at the last minute. Um, so like Billy was just always running a hustle. Like, I guess he would say that he had tickets to these things. And then like, if someone would buy it, he would essentially go to like StubHub and buy it and like, just hope that they could like figure it out for the people that were purchasing it or whatever. And, um, So this guy, Calvin, was like, he was already on my radar from that. So, like, I didn't really think this was, like, a big deal. He's, like, in his business, he said he worked with many of the bands listed as headliners. And so he would call their agents and be like, hey, like, what is this thing that they're doing? And the agents would say that, like, you know, fires, they would pay double what the market pay was, like, normally for their client. And he asked them they were like okay so you got the money they sent you the money and and the response was like well funny that you ask no they haven't sent the money yet and so he just keeps like digging into it and digging into it and he points out like you know you know great exuma is one not a private island and two not owned by pablo escobar and so he started a fire a twitter account called fire festival fraud i think and he, so he just started like tweeting out all these things like you know he he flew himself down to great exam like i he must have really like not liked billy because he's like all right i'm gonna fly down and see myself and he said that they were erecting erecting dome tents that had been pitched as luxury villas and then like he got a better look and spoke to some of the people and they were disaster hurricane disaster relief hurricane tents from hurricane Matthew that were left over and you know part of the issue with that they were trying to do was they were trying to build a city within a city and there was no access to running water people were working around the clock and there was just like this oh like growing sense of dread like no matter how hard they worked, they weren't really, like, making the, you know, whatever that they needed to. Um, and then, I, I don't know how to say this lady's name. It's, like, Shuan Deng. She worked for FIRE. She said that on Fridays, one of their favorite topics was, like, to be, like, did you get paid and was it the right amount? And then someone says that this one guy one time he was like yeah I got paid it like they handed me a big bag of cash it's like what and so I like some people would give Billy the benefit of the doubt and they would say like oh he's just a a magician with fundraising and you know he would fly off and come back and he would have you know more money to deal like to throw at the you know next set of needs and then there was a lady, um, Carola, I can't remember her last name. Um, Carola, she was a, well, she was a big, big donor in all and, of this, wasn't she? Yeah. And Carola Jane, I think is her name. And, um, she, like, it says that she, um, she invested $4 million into fire festival and um, 
I guess she's just like she believed in Billy's vision and she just thought like he had like a visionary attitude and she said that oh that's where um like she and one of the workers and she overheard a conversation that Billy was like well we can put up a cabana for for 50,000 and see if anyone buys it even though they didn't have that available um and so then there was in addition to this fire fraud twitter there was a website that came out that was called like www.firekey.com and the sole purpose of that was to destroy the festival um and it seemed like it was someone that worked for billy they would have these meetings and um then after the meeting like this website would put up like basically the notes of the meeting um, or they would have pictures of the campsite and um, I guess whoever put it up had started extorting Billy um, where they would say, you know, like, okay, well, if you give me this much money, I'll take it down. Um, and then Andy King, who was still involved, kept telling Billy they needed to get the word out that this was not going to be the luxury festival that people necessarily thought it was. And he was saying that, you know, if they told the people now and managed expectations, like it could still work, but like they needed to make sure people knew what they were getting into. Um, and so then for the Netflix one, then they start showing a bunch of different people, from that had actually been at the festival and like kind of talking about what their experiences were. Um, this guy, Seth Crossno, I don't, I think that's how you say his name. Um, he said that a email went out on April 22nd saying, I noticed you haven't created your fire band account yet. It's your wallet for the weekend, so loaded appropriately. The majority of our guests have added 3000 for the weekend, but if you want to reserve tables or take part in the add-on experiences, you will want to put much more on your band. Um, and so basically what he wanted the engineers to do was set up like the RFID chip. To me, it was another well, way for work. him to get more money that he needed to build this festival, but couldn't get the money. Exactly. Because it's like, oh, put your money on it now. We'll take it now. And so I can hopefully pay for like whatever this is and just hope for mm -hmm. the best when, you know, when people get here. Um, and it said that like, before the festival they knew there were 350 people who paid that would not have a tent and like billy would tell them to stop communicating with corolla because he was trying to get more money from her and that you know she was getting nervous the more she heard about you know stuff and so then he just said like well, just don't tell her because I'm trying to get more money from her. And um, so I guess 
they had like a six million dollar contract with Star Catering, which is one of the restaurants on the island. And you know, only a million dollars had been allocated towards that, you know, that cost or whatever, even though they wrote the contract. So he just fired them over the phone and so that to get out of paying them. So, I mean, it was just, it was a nightmare. And it said, you know, all of the promotional content for Fire Festival all was pulled from that one commercial that they had done, like all the footage from that weekend that they had done the commercial um, with the models. Like there was never anything else. There was no like pictures of like, okay, this is what the the place looks like. This is how it's going to look. Nothing. Um, and then they're talking to the fuck Jerry guys and he said that they were being treated like they were customer service. So, and obviously they were there to just promote it. They weren't there to like answer people's questions about, about why something wasn't working or something was wrong. Um, so they would get like Instagram messages or DMs. So like none of the stuff, like none of their advertisements came from anything other than that one than footage from that one weekend that they were there and like they weren't doing updates there wasn't anything new like they weren't posting pictures from like you know normally like Coachella they'll show like them putting the ferris wheel up stuff like that like oh guess what's coming like they never did anything but there was still stuff on their website like I remember it said like four days to go Right. Yeah. No, they were still marketing it. Like that's how it was, but they just not like, if you go back and look through like their stuff, it was all stuff that was only through, um, from that one weekend, like it was Mm -hmm. nothing new. And so then they're talking to the fuck Jerry guys and they're saying that, you know, people were like DMing them or putting up comments like, how do I do this? Or like, I haven't heard about that. I don't know, you know, what's going on. And so, you know, the people at fuck Jerry would be like, well, you know, you need to email, you know, the concierge at fire.com. And then that guy Grant would be sending messages to the fuck Jerry guys being like, the comments are killing us. Like you can't keep you know, these comments up. And so eventually fuck Jerry was instructed to screenshot any legitimate questions and forward them to the fire team and then delete all of the, the negative comments. Um, and then, so like they started deleting comments and then they would just turn comments off altogether. Um, and that guy, Andy King says every day they were debating whether or not they were going to cancel he said that like they would have meetings and after the meeting he would step outside and he would start crying because like he didn't think that it was going to work out at all um and he was telling them they need to cancel at least some of the reservations because there wasn't going to be space all these people were coming and there wasn't going to be anywhere to put them there were no hotels like there were no options 
um, and there would be like no way to get them out of there because it's not like they're, you know, it's not like Miami where you can run a car, you can jump, jump on another flight. Like they never booked any commercial flights, you know, to go back um, other than like around what the festival dates were. And he said that like he got an email from someone like, Hold on, what is it? Oh, so this guy, one of the the guys for um, fire, this guy, Mark, he said, like, he was, you know, questioning things and saying, we need to, like, cancel, we need to, or at least, you know, cancel some of the reservations, like, all this shit is going to turn, you know, awful, because, like, there's nothing, and he said the response he got was, at least they will see your smiling face and crazy yoga skills because they had also like build him as like a yoga instructor for the event. And he was just kind of like, okay. And I guess like they never got festival insurance, which I didn't even know that was a thing festival insurance. But so I guess Billy said, because he didn't have festival insurance, like not having the festival was not an option. And, um, so then they're talking to other people and the interviewer starts asking questions like, oh, did you ever hear about how they told Andy how he needed to get the, the water oh, through yeah. custom? This story. And people are just like laughing. And so then they cut to Andy and he says they had four 18-wheelers filled, filled with Evian water. And he had missed the big meeting with Customs. And that, like, he wasn't in that meeting. But Customs had told them that they needed to pay $175,000 in cash to release the water. So Andy said, Billy called me and said, Andy, we need you to take one big thing for the team. And then he said, well, you're our wonderful gay leader and we need you to go down. Will you suck dick to fix this water problem? If you will go down and suck Cunningham's, whoever, he, I guess he's the head of customs. If you will suck Cunningham's dick and get him to clear all the containers with water, you will save this festival. What I find the craziest and, part about it is that he was so willing to do it. I'm like, like I would have been like, like Get there was not face. even a thought that like, he wasn't going to do it. He was going to do it. No. He said he went home, he took a shower, he gargled some mouthwash and drove across the island to take one for the team. He said when he got there the guy was like, he was like he was as nice as you could be. He didn't make me suck his dick. He said that he would release the water and allow us to serve it, but that he wanted to be one of the first people to be paid. Andy said he said great and that he did not suck dick for water. And, but he was very, very clear that he was very prepared to suck dick for water, which seems insane. Like, who even says that? Like, and I guess maybe other people, like, I would feel like you're going to get sued, like, if you tell people that work for you to do that. But obviously, this kid does not give two shits about what's legal and illegal and oh did you notice when they flew down 
like the fuck Jerry guys flew down like I guess the day before the festival was supposed to start and they showed them in the plane and the guy was like oh if we get into any trouble we need to jump out we can just do this and he pulled the fucking window like off the plane I didn't even see that part like the little you know like the little like the emergency window I don't know no like you know like if you're in a normal seat like just whatever the little like oval window is like that everybody gets that you can pull like the shade down Mm -hmm. or whatever he like pulled on it and the whole thing came out i was like i wouldn't got like i wouldn't be flying on that plane like what if it gets sucked out while you're in the air i mean it was insane like it was insane um they said they get down there. There's no cars available. Like Mark keeps saying, it's clear the festival is going to happen no matter what. He was working with a Navy SEAL who called it an elephant of a clusterfuck. Um, and Andy kept saying the la- the last 24 hours were completely unbelievable. And all I kept thinking was, all I kept thinking about was Woodstock, where I guess. He thought if Woodstock could make it, Fire Festival had a chance. Because I guess Woodstock had a lot of different problems too. But it went on and people now don't remember Woodstock as like a big clusterfuck. They just think it was like this amazing concert. But like back then it really was like a nightmare too. Um, But I mean, obviously like they, I mean, they were just so screwed up in everything. Um, Mark says they were standing on the porch of one of the mansions and it just started pouring rain the night before the festival and you know the site was still unfinished the rain ruined all the mattresses all the tents were ruined like everything was messed up and he said that somebody on the like when they were standing out there and all that happened that somebody was like well at least they're not going to get away with it and you know, everybody keeps saying, like, how if the rain hadn't happened, like, there was a chance they could have pulled it off or, like, limped through it at least. Um, I feel like, though, even if the rain hadn't happened, like, the acts were starting to back out. Like, Blink-182 was out. And they didn't really talk about anybody else. But, like, they didn't say that like the other acts like made it down to the island. Well, no. So I guess that guy Samuel who had booked all the talent, like when Blink One Eighty Two pulled out, like I guess the um, I guess like before they had gotten there, he like he was just like, don't even bother coming. Like it's not worth it. Like this is a nightmare because as the influencers were coming in that morning like they you know they were already talking about what a nightmare it was like the first of all the private jet wasn't what they expected like they took like a normal like airplane and they had just put a sticker on it that said fire festival and they were calling it a private jet and now uh, that influencer though that same influencer who said that she had a villa and yeah, she was, like, one yeah. of the only ones. Like, there was a few of them that, that had it, and they were like, it was fine. Yeah, she said on the Hulu documentary that she actually felt yeah. bad because 
there were all these people without accommodations and there she was in a villa. Like she did actually have some place to stay. And then there was another boat somewhere and she said she was not getting off the boat until she knew what was happening. Right. Oh yeah. Well, and they said that like when that lane or that plane landed, they made the decision to reroute them instead of taking them to the festival. They took them to like a restaurant. And so at first everybody was just kind of like, okay, like they're pouring vodka down their throats and tequila down their throats. And like, people would be like, so when do we get to go here? When do we get to do this? And like the restaurant people are like, how how would I know? And, um, and then we gave this poor lady like a 25 minute heads up and, like they show all these people saying that that was the best part of fire festival was like hanging out at that restaurant. Um, I mean, it looked like a nightmare. Like they, everything was stuck. They didn't have anything. There weren't enough beds. Like people were already asking if things were going wrong because they'd been held on the beach for six hours. And like, nobody was giving them any like kind of an update or any kind of like letting them know what was going on. And then they said that, like, when they got on the bus to be taken to the campsite, the bus driver was like, oh, just wait to see what you're in for, like, laughing at them, like, this is about to be some shit. And he told them they only started building for this, like, a month ago. And so, like, they pull up, and it just looks like a bunch of white tents. And they had like this house they called it like the the production the blue house. house people were yes and they they were waiting hours to try to figure out what was going on and that eventually billy like came outside stood on a table and one of the attendees were like well where are we supposed to go if we have a villa and billy was like well anyone who has a villa just go grab a tent and it became like a free for all like none of it was even pretending to be organized and you know like they had just brought the luggage in on these trucks and kind of opened the back of these trucks and were like good luck finding your bags and I mean like and people were ridiculous like you know there's all of these people in the same position as you and like there's probably not enough room anyway and this asshole is like oh, well, we didn't want neighbors, so we ran through, and then around our tents, we, like, you know, broke the tents, like, cut holes in it, like, flipped the mattresses over, a few of my friends peed on the mattresses, um, like, because they didn't want people to take those tents. It's like, okay, well, like, that's awful. Like, you know these people have nowhere else to go. And so it was just this whole looting mentality and it was like Lord of the Flies horror movie type stuff. Um, and like they said on the Netflix one that like the festival was taken down because somebody put up like a picture of their like gourmet food and it was like a piece of cheese on a piece of toast. And um still one of the guys Mick from Fuck Jerry said that Grant had still been calling like calling them and ordering them to do stuff like you know you need to tell them this and that and Mick was like uh, no I'm not going to do that like I'm not going to keep lying to these people I'm like we're not going to post any more promises 
Like, this is dead. It was a failure. You need to let it go. Like, we're not doing it And I guess anymore. at one point, um, Billy, like, rode off on a four-wheeler and just... <laughs> yeah. So, like, he would just, like, stress out and, like, come back and pace. Yeah, on the roof or something. And you notice Ja Rule yeah. was nowhere to be found when all of this was going on. He wasn't even yeah. on the fucking island. Uh-uh. Well, and then the guy Mick said that, like, after he said they weren't going to be doing that anymore, that, like, Grant texted him and was like, oh, hey, I want to introduce you to our new social media team. Can you get them set up with the credentials to log into all our accounts? It's like, this is ridiculous. And then that guy Samuel, the one who booked all the, the stuff, he said that, like, Jaw hadn't gotten there yet. So he he called him and was like, this is what's happening. So Jaw didn't get on his plane. And then all the other acts like the talent I guess was supposed to be flying in I guess after at some point after that because they he told them all not to get on the plane and um they canceled everything and like Andy sometimes Billy was like walking around crying and you know the fuck Jerry guys were saying like yeah like two days ago he was still being like praised this like entrepreneurial like visionary and like within 24 hours he became like a massive joke like people were just like this is a disgrace I mean they said the people were like crying and like the fuck Jerry guys were shown telling people that it was canceled officially canceled that there was no food on the island they were not letting any more people in on the island People who had just landed were stuck in the airport overnight. They just they locked them in, them in the airport. With, like, no, yeah, with no food, no water, nothing. Um, and obviously, like they start showing like the news media's coverage and like different jokes people were making, and um, like the one of the guys Andy said one of the guys from the island that was a construction worker came up to him and was like I need 26,000 and I want it right now and he like would like he would follow Andy around and and then they talk about like the construction people and the people on the island that had done all this work for months and months were like following them around like you owe me this money like you owe me $26,000 like you're gonna pay it right like and so that guy, Andy, like, snuck off the island. Um, oh, yeah. He, like, completely went incognito and, like, yeah. traded clothes with somebody. And yeah, and he just hightailed it out of there. Oh, yeah. He, like, did not, like, he was just, like, peace. I am so sorry for what you lost. Whatever. Like, I'm not doing this. And... Um, and like of course he's like I had a lot of guilt for following Billy down the street it's like oh that's what you have guilt for like these people didn't get paid like it's not well that woman who owned the bar restaurant like she lost like how much of her savings because of that whole thing like it was a massive yeah, it was like amount 50, of money yeah it was yeah. a massive amount of money because she had to pay the people she's like because it's not right like that's money I could have used for my retirement or for like a rainy day and 
you know, she's like, you know, I don't even like talking. Like, I felt so bad for her. She's like, I don't even like talking about it. Like, it's so upsetting because, you know, like we were really put in a bad position. And like, they show Billy in New York saying, first, I'd like to give a big apology for how the festival turned out. It's like, oh, really? Like, that's what, that's what you're apologizing for? And then Ja Rule, whose dumbass, like, tweeted out afterwards, like, he said something like, I, too, was hustled, scammed, and bamboozled. It's like, you're an idiot. Like, you are just as much a part of it as Billy is. Like, and then, cause then they show him telling people, like, in a meeting, like, right now, yes, we are the fucking laughing stocks of everything. We are scam fire. But that might not be the case after we fucking put our plan in play and start to spin it. And so you try to use Samsung as an example of how that it was just bad PR that, you know, some of the phones like were blowing people's faces off, but they're still selling phones. And he says, we can't dwell on how we fucked up. We need to focus on how to make it successful. And like the, nothing was successful about it like I don't think you could turn anything out of that and then they're saying like fire festival ruined the fire app Billy still wanted to push forward and would say we need to band together we're a family and then Ja Rule says they need to figure out how to get out of the shit that we didn't kill anybody nobody got hurt that they made a mistake and they will get past it and like when people are like well I mean people were like it was fraud he's like no no it wasn't fraud it was false advertising it's like what what is the difference like there's not that big of a difference yeah it's the same thing and you know like some of the people were talking about doing a class action suit um seth uh crossno he said he contacted his attorney and the attorney was like you know class action suits tend to like go on for a very long time and like like if there is money to be had by the end of it like you're not getting much of it so they um sued um independently they sued fire and billy mcfarlane and everything independently of a class action suit um and you know they their basis for the suit was that you know they committed fraud um, the influencers that were involved in promoting Fire Festival got sued, um, and the class action suit maintained that if they posted something but did not put, like, hashtag advertisement or hashtag uh, ad or um, hashtag sponsored, that they did have a level of accountability and responsibility for, like, having put it out there, Um Billy had called like an all hands meeting like a week or two after the fire festival, which the fire festival was supposed to be over two weekends. It wasn't just the one weekend they fucked up. They were like, they had had um, sold a following weekend, kind of like how Coachella, like they do one weekend and then they come back the next weekend. But so like the people that paid for all that, they just didn't go because they knew it was a joke but like you still took all that money from all those people and um 
so when he called like his all hands meeting after fire festival he said we're not firing anybody we're just gonna let you know that there will be no payroll in the short term so there's no more official employment and when the employee says so you're not going to lay us off which would allow us to file for unemployment benefits you're just not going to pay us anymore and then you're going to make us quit ourselves and he says I'm not aware of how this affects that the unemployment benefits and like he just he wasn't sorry he didn't have any remorse he's like well no I'm just not firing you like he didn't really seem to care then I guess after he got off the call people were like are you still there you know people were like yeah and they said has anybody else been contacted by the FBI And so I guess the FBI had, like, gone to a lot of the employees to kind of find out, like, what the hell happened. And so, I mean, I guess Billy was frauding the investors who invested in Fire Festival based on how well they were doing in the company within Fire Media. So he would tell the investors he booked Drake, even though Drake was never booked. And um, the original report showed like that they had 1.5 million in offers but then billy doctored that report and it so that it looked like they were being offered 35 million and billy said they'd been given an island worth worth 8 million but they were never given an island and you know i mean there were a bunch of different claims like he would tell them that he had more than two million dollars of stock in facebook and like in actuality he had $1,500 of stock in Facebook but he was saying that to make them think like he was more successful than he really was and then he also got arrested for wire fraud um you know like besides all the people that paid for this and then never got it and obviously they're not getting their money back like the people in the Bahamas were never paid um and So after he was arrested, he ended up getting bailed out of jail. And I think the guy said that, you know, like they thought he was living in his parents' basement and, you know, this was like a big nightmare. But then um, other people who had seen him and been around him after he got out of jail said he was still living large. He had like, you know, still had a large house in New York City and, um, he still had camera crews following him around. Like, I don't know what he thought he was going to do with camera crews, but I guess he was still trying to come up with things. And then they said that all of a sudden people started getting emails, like people that had, you know, signed up for fire festival, started getting emails from this like NYC VIP access. And like, people thought it was like the mailing, they got it from the mailing list from, the fire festival and all of the deals were just like really unbelievable and impossible deals. Like they, like one was like tickets to the Met Gala, the um, tickets to the Victoria's secret fashion show. This is literally my favorite part of this whole story because like, what was he trying to accomplish with this part of the fraud? Like, Andy's out on bail, number one. Right. So that's, and so he's doing illegal acts out on bail, which is 
which is violations of that bail. So he could go to jail immediately. Bail revoked, gone. Right. And then there's additional charges, which who even knows how many more, like how much more trouble you could be in with each charge. But like the things that he's offering were like, I mean, like I am not anywhere close to knowing anything about famous people or famous things. But even I know you can't go to the Met Gala. Like, you can't buy a ticket. You have to be invited by Anna Wintour. Like, you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to do this. Like, and I would assume that fashion shows are similar. You have to be invited or you have to be on a list or, like, you don't just, they don't just sell tickets to the general public. And so I guess it sounded like, so what Billy had done was there was this guy, Frank Tribble, basically Billy was like, okay, well, I'm gonna like, you do this. I'll, I'll, you know, do all the behind the scenes stuff. You just have it out there. Like as your face of you're the face of the company or whatever. And so then, um, like, cause Billy said he wasn't allowed to do it. So then there came like an article that was published about like the similarities between fire festival and like the stuff Billy had tried to do in the past for, and then, um, the similarities between that and this new like NYC VIP access. So six hours after those, um, articles were released, he was rearrested and charged with five additional felonies. Um, another fraud charge, money laundering, identity theft, witness intimidation, and obstruction of justice. So I guess he had, like, been telling his employees, like, don't talk to the FBI if they try to talk to you. Or, like, don't answer your phone. Or don't answer. So I guess it's technically, like, witness tampering mm-hmm. and witness intimidation. And so, like, in the end... He was sentenced to six years in federal prison and agreed to a lifetime ban from serving as a corporate officer or director. Um, Ja Rule ended up partnering with M. David Lowe to launch a new talent booking platform called Icon, which I've never heard anything about since I read that at the end of the documentary. So I'm sure it went nowhere. Um, Grant Margolin agreed to a seven-year director and officer ban and a $35,000 penalty, but did not admit or deny any of the SEC charges. And, you know, obviously the guy, um, Seth Crosno, and one of his friends who had filed the fraud against Billy were awarded $5 million in judgment, but they never got anything. And I read, like, I was looking stuff up on this, and I read that Billy got COVID in jail. Oh, my God. That's not funny. It's not. (laughs) It's not funny. Oh, I'm an asshole. (laughs) Well, no, I laughed when I heard that, too. Like, he's such an idiot, though. Like, he's only 28 years old. That's insane. Like, that's a lot of, like, stupidity for, like, a short life. <laughs> he owes six, $26 million in restitution. Which he'll like, never I mean, pay. I yeah, I don't even know why people would even think it. 
Um, and I guess his scheduled release date is August 30th, 2023, but it says that he contracted COVID-19 in jail. It says hopefully he's getting better treatment than dry cheese sandwiches. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he said he tested positive for COVID today. He called a reporter on Thursday, like this was when was this July 4th so the Thursday after July 4th he said being put in isolation in a big room with 160 other people who have it at this jail like why are you calling reporters in jail it says in an exclusive post and this is all from the New York Post he says in an exclusive post interview in early April the Short Hills New Jersey native said he wasn't scared of catching the deadly coronavirus I'm feeling fine, but it's scary. There are a lot of older guys here and not so healthy. <clears throat> and I guess he was saying that people should be released, you know, because of Corona. They should be released from jail. He had his attorney file papers to say that he had a pre-existing health condition and petitioned for his release. And um because 25% of inmates tested positive for it and the National Guard was help, was sent to help control the outbreak. And, oh my God, like he's so ridiculous. This says on Thursday, an Elkton inmate named Jabril, whom McFarland returned to, referred to as his right-hand man, called the post as McFarland was being taken to quarantine. He's not dying, I don't think. It feels like we're sitting ducks in here. They wait until they're unresponsive to take people to the hospital. I mean, that. I mean, it just seems like another scam. Like it's like, oh, here, I'm gonna try to get out of jail. Like, why are you still like? It sounds like he's keeping in touch with like reporters. Yeah, that's the weird part. Yeah, like everybody thinks you're a dick. Like, why? Would you like? Well, I can't imagine that there's any kind of. Well, he truly is a laughing stock at this point. Like, and the fact that he, yeah, yeah, the fact that he thinks that like he is, he obviously thinks he's way more important than he really is, and the fact that he thinks that like these reporters give a shit and are gonna have sympathy for anything he's talking about is hilarious to me oh my gosh so like i just looked up job rule and it's showing like some of his tweets and it says 14 hours ago building something really dope hope y'all love it hashtag icon like okay like the documentaries were like made like a year or two ago you still haven't gotten this off the ground and then he also put like three days ago it's amazing how polarizing i am it's like does anybody care about jaw roll because i don't think that they do i don't like who like i can't even imagine let's see how many twitter followers he even has <laughs> probably none it says mogul jaw roll instagram for bookings icon me jaw roll he only has two hundred and thirty-three thousand oh followers. That's nothing. So let's see. Fifty Cent has twelve point one million followers. Yeah, I found it very funny when he called himself <clears throat> a hip hop mogul. 
He's such a joke. Like, I don't, like, who, like, I'm self-conscious, like, I'm self-conscious about doing this stupid podcast that probably only my mom will listen to. And I feel stupid about it. Like, how do you not feel stupid? Like, you did all this dumb shit, and now you want to call yourself a mogul? Like, first of all, 50 Cent canceled you before cancel culture was even a thing. And, like, you still have the nerve to be like, well, you know, I'm going, like, you, you failed. Like, fire fraud, you failed. Like, invest in somebody else making an app like that. Like, you be behind the scenes. You don't need to be the face of anything. Nobody cares about you anyway. Like, I feel like influencers that nobody else knows have a ton more followers and get a ton more, like, likes and comments on their pages. Like, that's insane. That's really embarrassing. Like, I would... Could you imagine being like, like you think you're famous? Okay, well that's really all I no. had. Did you have anything else? You know what we should do next? It'll be better. Tiger King. Thank you for listening to True Crime True Family. Follow us on our Twitter at TCTFP and Instagram at TCTF Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us where you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review. We appreciate all the feedback. Join us next week.